Hey GCS new teachers, it's Crystal Vandiver, your director of new teacher support for Guilford County Schools and I just want to welcome you to episode three of our podcast series Anchor Point for new teachers and friends of new teachers. I'm still thinking about, as I'm sure you are, last week's episode which was the seven things effective teachers don't do. And I think the thing that's so in my mind is that effective teachers don't gossip with their colleagues and they don't speak negatively about their colleagues or other students. And I think that one hit me so hard because I just think about the culture that I was in in my first couple of years of teaching and how the little things that seemed harmless at the time that were said in the you know, the, the teacher workroom or casually in the hallway between classes, I could still remember some of those things and it's been so many years and how they just kind of They seem harmless at the time, but they seep into your perception of the people you work with and the students you're interacting with, and they just don't give your colleagues or students a fair chance to enjoy their learning environment and their work environment. So that one still stuck with me, and I have to tell you, you're gonna love this week because it's seven things that parents love about effective teachers. And I know so many of you in Guilford County Schools right now are preparing for teacher work days, which means hopefully you're preparing for lots of communication with parents. I spoke with a new teacher this week who told me that she was nervous about it. She's had um, a bad experience talking to a parent so far. So this is the podcast for you to make that parent experience a great one. I told her, as I'll tell you, don't rob yourself of an amazing parent um, experience by going in unprepared. So you're gonna love this podcast episode. I'm gonna turn it over to Crystal and Sarah, and they're gonna teach us some great wisdom about being effective teachers. Thanks for being with us. So um, it is the four o'clock hour and we are going to begin. Um, This is a third installment of our um, Anchor Point podcast. So whether you're live or whether you're listening on the go, definitely are glad that you are here listening to us today. So uh, this is our third episode and we're really excited. The first episode of October and the topic is seven things parents love about effective teachers. So if, you, if you've been following us for a while, you know that we started off with seven things that effect, effective teachers do every day, seven things that effective teachers don't do every day, and now we're going to dig a little bit deeper into um, parents, of um, seven things parents love about effective teachers. And it's going to be hosted um, by myself, Crystal Jackson, and Sarah Campbell. Hey everyone, I am super excited about this one. As a parent, I feel passionately about these seven things. And as a teacher, I think it's so great to consider how we can be effective through the lens of a parent. So a lot of great content today. Absolutely, absolutely. And as always, we are anchored in our mission and vision for uh, Gifford County Schools. Uh, Our mission is Gifford County students will graduate as responsible citizens prepared to succeed in higher education or in the career of their choice. And our vision is transforming learning and life outcomes for all children. Okay, our SVL opener today is, what positive memory do you have about school as a child? And 
I had to do a little bit of reflecting. I want you guys, if you could, to share in the chat bar. Um, those of you who are with us live, share in the chat bar. What is one positive memory that you have about school as a child? And as I reflected on this question, I remembered, and I wish, I think her name was Mrs. Moore. I know that she was my second grade teacher, and I was going to elementary school in Colorado. Um, and I was a very quiet student, and um, she made me, somehow she just had this special touch, and she made me feel seen. And I remember very specifically feeling like sitting on the carpet when she was reading or doing something, and I just felt cared for and taken care of and seen and valued. And so that's my positive memory. Crystal, what's one that you have? Now that it's turning into fall, I just remember all the fall activities. So I remember of doing bar graphs and math and, you know, eating, you know, a red apple, yellow apple, green apple, and, you know, collecting that data. And I remember specifically in the first grade, I was chosen to take a red, yellow, and green slice to the principal for to collect the data to tell us which one he preferred. And I thought I was, you couldn't tell me nothing. I thought I was the bomb diggity when I got chosen for that. <laughs> I think it was just the, um, just the experience, um, the, like the experiences that I had, like the activities that were like hands-on. Um, I definitely remember those throughout my elementary school years for sure. That is awesome. I think when we obviously feel, we obviously remember the things that teachers did when they just kind of went out of their way to make us feel special in some kind of way. That's what's important. That's what we remember all of these years years later. And I'm not seeing any more, so we'll keep um, rolling. Um, but keep that kind of in the back of your mind as you listen to this podcast, that what is an, a positive memory that you have as a child? That's always important to consider as we think about how we can become more effective teachers. Wanted to provide a really quick reminder about the Form 10. This is the form that you will complete with your mentor at your school. Some of you who came through orientation with us in October, just a few weeks ago, or last week, I guess, yours will be due at the end of this month. If you came to orientation in September, then yours was due September 30th. And so we just ask that you guys complete that Form 10 as soon as possible with your mentor. And additionally, again, you guys are on all different kinds of schedules for your orientation requirements for new teachers. Some of you guys had September 30th as a pretty big due date for a few things, the classroom management design course, the Form 10, the classroom observation for a few of you. Some of you guys will have those same types of things that are due at the end of this month. So just make sure that you are referring back to your original orientation agenda, the one that was emailed to you by Sarah Campbell, and look at the 10 requirements that you have that are specific to you and just make sure that you are keeping note of the due dates and turning in anything that might be passed due. We would appreciate that. This next announcement is uh, pertaining to open enrollment. Um, open enrollment is something that every staff member of GCS, oh, actually, uh, North Carolina, uh, this is our open enrollment season. Uh, one thing I want to bring up for um, new teachers especially is because more than likely, of course, when you were hired, you probably completed uh, some health insurance um, information when you were hired. Um, what we don't want you to think is that that exempts you from open enrollment. Even if you signed your papers when you um were hired for your benefits, you still need to enroll during open enrollment time. If you do not enroll during this time, you will be defaulted to 70-30. So if you signed up for 80-20 and don't participate in open enrollment, you will default to 70-30 January 1st. 
So please, even if you already completed it when you were hired, complete it during the open enrollment time of October 11th through the 29th. And this flyer has face-to-face options um, to get help as well as some online steps. So for those who may be just tuning in for the first time, um, these are our podcast texts we are going to be um, utilizing. So um, these three texts are 180 days of self-care for busy educators, 101 answers for new teachers and their uh, mentors, and the new teacher book, Finding Purpose, Balance, and Hope During Your First Years in the Classroom. So if you want to dig a little deeper from something that you hear for this podcast, you're welcome to purchase it and follow along. So like I talked about before, uh, for those who have been with us, we kind of kind of done this kind of seven kick. Um, so we talked about seven effective things teachers do every day, seven effective things teachers don't do every day. And now for this third installment, we are discussing seven things parents love about effective teachers. And um, I think this is so important, as Sarah said before, parents are definitely a huge, huge factor. They're not an optional factor, but they have to be in the equation to ensure students' optimal success. Uh, So having that as a a mandatory staple in your uh, teaching career is going to just make it better when you have that strong partnership with parents. So the first thing that parents love about effective teachers is parents love teachers who treat each child as if he or she or they were their teacher's child. They trust these teachers to treat their children fairly, and these teachers actually tell the parents, I treat each of your children as if they were my own. So when you're working with students, just think about anything that you do with a child, ask yourself, would this be something you would be okay with if uh, the shoe was on the other foot, if this was your child and you were going to visit a teacher? Uh, Treating somebody who's like somebody who's related to you, who's close to you, really puts in perspective that love and care that parents look for. So that is one thing that begins our list of things that parents love about effective teachers. I love that. And it really simplifies the what we should be doing as teachers, that we should be caring and loving our students just like they are our own. I think that's a really simple concept, one that we can all kind of wrap our heads around and, and get behind. And I love that. Um, the second thing, parents love teachers who keep them abreast of what's going on in the classroom. They love getting updates on what's happening in your classroom. They love hearing about wonderful, wonderful learning that's taking place. They love being included and feeling in the know. And so this could be by newsletters, emails, phone calls, Facebook um, posts, social media stuff, things being sent home in the in backpacks. And this is not specific to elementary. I want to really challenge middle school and high school teachers to do the same thing, to share what's going on in your classroom with parents and with families. Let them know what you're doing in your classroom. Let them know about the amazing projects that you're doing, the relationships your kids are forming. Keep them abreast. They, they want to know what's going on in your classroom. So find ways to do that. Absolutely. The third topic is parents love teachers who make efforts to ensure positive communication. So if you were in orientation, you may have heard me talk about this with relationships. Uh, You definitely want to use phone calls, whatever communication that the parents um, prefer to send home that good news, send home student successes. So then when it's time for a serious situation to present themselves, the parents are more willing to deal with a teacher they believe actually cares about their child and enjoys teaching their child. 
With less effective teachers, a negative phone call or letter is often the first communication between the parent and the teacher. So then that creates a narrative that parents are only going to hear from the teacher when something is wrong. So just make sure that you are definitely spending time sharing the great news about a student. So then when there's time to talk about a correction, you have built built a strong rapport with the parents. Awesome. The next one, parents love teachers who listen to them. This does not mean that the parent and teacher always agree. It simply means that the parent feels as though he, she, or they can come to the teacher and have open and honest discussions, even in times of disagreement. So it is so important, and I cannot say this enough, in as like student teachers or when we're if we're coming to teaching from other careers, we don't know, we don't realize how big of an impact the relationship that we have with parents is going to have on the success of our students. It is so important. It's not something that we really learn about. It's one of those skills that we just that we learn on the spot, on the job. And so I, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of listening to parents, to their concerns, validate what they're saying, believe what they're saying. Do not dismiss the, the concerns or opinions of a parent. Of course, that does not mean you have to always agree. That does not mean that you have to always do, you know, what the what the parent is saying but it does mean that you need to listen you need to hear them out and you need to make them feel valued absolutely for sure the fifth topic is parents love teachers who don't give up on students these teachers do whatever it takes to help a child succeed so whether it takes extra time with the child suggesting ways for parents to help their child at home or just keeping the parents abreast of all the efforts the teachers make it to ensure success for the child and success for the child is not solely academics so socially behaviorally you don't give up on a child so parents love teachers who treat their you know treat them as team players not threats or inhibitors to their child's well-being. So it's very important for you to create that cohesive team between parent, teacher, and student. So parents love teachers who don't give up on students. That is awesome. Number six, parents love teachers who challenge students while making learning attainable and fun. Students want to go to these teachers' classrooms, not because it's easy, but because they feel challenged, loved, safe, and successful. So I want to just dispel any myth that you've heard that kids want to come to go to classrooms where there are no expectations for them, where there are no procedures in place, where they can do what they want. That is a myth. That is not true. Kids do not want to go to those classrooms. They want to go to classrooms where they are challenged, where teachers are holding them accountable for their behavior, where they feel safe, where they feel like there are high expectations of them. That's where they want to go. So resist the urge. We've talked about this before. Resist the urge to be nice, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, and loosen your expectations for students. That is not going to create healthy relationships with them. That is not going to increase their student achievement. That is going to have the opposite effect. So again, and parents know this, parents want the same thing for their kids. Challenge their students, make learning attainable, and make it fun. For sure. School School being fun is definitely a school I want to be in for sure. And lastly, parents love teachers who do not overburden students with lengthy homework assignments. So homework should be quick, meaningful, and doable, and meant only to reinforce what has been learned in class. Um, So a lot of times parents, they may not be sure 
what you are expecting for them to complete or how you want them to complete it. You want to make the load easy for everyone in the household. And even if the student, if, if it's a student who grasps the your concepts quickly and is a student who is just excelling um, with the homework, that still doesn't mean that child wants hours and hours of homework to do. So just know that just how we have different things going on in our lives, children do too. A lot of times they may be in dance or they may have be like at a, on a sports team at the rec or they may have other things going on in their lives after school. So just be mindful of that and ensure that it's something that's quick, meaningful and doable. Crystal, I feel like if we were in an auditorium full of parents, we would have just gotten a round of applause for that last tip. I know. <laughs> that is so huge. <laughs> parents are stressed out by homework. Absolutely. All right. So we want to share a couple of pro tips. One of the things that we do um, during these podcasts is we try to share a few quick tips, things that you can do right away, things that are important to have at the top of your list. And so one of those tips today is to make classroom management a priority. So we've talked about this before. I'm going to just emphasize a few points about this again today. Contrary to popular belief, just like I just said, discipline is not the number one problem in the classroom. Rather, the lack of clear, structured, well-rehearsed procedures and, and routines is what causes most discipline problems. Thus, from day one, effective teachers establish clear routines and procedures, and students are shown and told exactly what is expected of them. We have said this to you guys over and over, to prepare, 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 have a procedure for everything. Classroom management refers literally to everything you do to make your classroom run smoothly, including how you arrange the furniture to facilitate learning, how you expect students to enter and exit the classroom, where you stand when you are teaching to ensure that you are in close proximity to all of your students, how you pace your activities, how you establish expectations for student behavior, literally everything. An effective teacher plans everything. So make sure that you have classroom management as a priority no learning will take place without it. It doesn't matter how much of an expert you are in your content area or in what you're teaching. If you do not have classroom management as a priority, if it's not something that you have prepared extensively for, that you have planned and written into your lesson plans and taught to your students and reinforced with your students, then the learning that you want to take place isn't going to happen. So make sure classroom management is a priority. Absolutely. And this next tip um, goes perfectly with what Sarah just said. So learn what to overlook. Kids are not perfect and neither are adults. So teachers who expect perfect behavior from their students are being unrealistic and are inviting disappointment. For example, if you are expecting your students to never whisper to one another, you've lost touch with reality. These things are going to happen. And if the occasional whispering is not overly distracting, just overlook it. Learn those things to overlook. Some of the common things that fall in the overlook category is tapping a pencil on the desk, quiet laughter between students, an occasional whisper from one student to another, a student slouching in his desk, a student attempting to push your buttons by talking or making silly noises or a student, student getting distracted for a brief period of time. Just know that wise teachers know that if they get nitpicky about every little imperfection, they will 
literally run around putting out fires all day. Um, so just know that children uh, did not come here to always do exactly what you say and, you know, be in this perfect world where they never uh, do anything that may be annoying or frustrating to you. And that's because they're children. There are going to be some things that they do as a child. I'm pretty sure if we look back in our childhood, we probably did some pretty things, pretty silly things that are probably embarrassing to share now. But just know kids are kids and to help your sanity and their sanity, learn what to overlook. That is awesome. Such good advice. I love that. And hopefully it comes as a bit of a relief to teachers. Like I don't have to correct every single thing. I don't have to address every single behavior. It's so important to be able to recognize the ones that we can overlook and to actually do that. Um, all right, so our, our ask yourself, uh, we, we like to leave an ask yourself question, um, something for you to think about, something for you to chew on as it relates to those few tips that we just provided. So do I tend to get nitpicky with behaviors I should overlook? That's a great question to be reflecting on. Am I clear on what types of behaviors can and can't be overlooked? Make a list. If at this point you are probably familiar with behaviors that tend to show up in your classroom, make a list of things that you can overlook and things that you can't. If you're not sure, once you make that list, haven't somebody else on your team or a principal or somebody else in your school look at that list and see if they agree, see if anything needs to be moved. And finally, am I willing to begin overlooking some of these annoying behaviors? We talked before a couple weeks ago about how we cannot de-escalate students when we are or situations, when we ourselves are escalated. If we are getting annoyed and aggravated and irritated by all of these little things that are occurring in our classrooms, like Crystal said, for our kids just kind of being kids, then we are going to remain at an escalated state. And it's going to be very hard to teach, to be effective, to have positive relationships with our students, and to just to smile, to do all those things that we know effective teachers do. So ask yourself those questions, be reflective, be honest with yourself, and then figure out what changes you need to make, if any. For sure, Sarah. I know that's going to give a lot of teachers some relief once they're able to pinpoint those, those things they can overlook. So for our equity talk, because we've been the kind of the main feature for this podcast have been seven things parents love about effective teachers. We kind of want to stay in that same parent strand uh, when talking about our equity talk. So Sarah and I are going to read an excerpt from the book, the new teacher book, Finding Purpose, Balance, and Hope during your first years in the classroom. And what we're going to read is an excerpt from uh, one of the chapters um, and it's called A Message from a Black Mom to Her Son by Dean Watson. And what I want you to do, um, I just want you to pause and just reflect and listen as we read excerpts from this letter. And then we're going to have a conversation about it, um, an equity conversation about it uh, once we conclude. So again, this is A Message from a Black Mom to Her Son by Dean Watson. Dear Caleb, for three years of my K through eight schooling, from 7.40 a.m. until 3.05 p.m., I was black and invisible. I was bused across town to integrate a white school in Southeast Portland, Oregon. We arrived at school promptly at 7.30 a.m. and had 10 full minutes before the white children arrived. We spent that time roaming the halls, happy, free, normal. Once the white children arrived, we became black and invisible. 
we were separated so that no more than two of us were in a class at a time. I never saw black people in our textbooks unless they were in shackles or standing with Martin Luther King Jr. Most of us rarely interacted with a black adult outside of the aide who rode the bus with us. I liked school and I loved learning, but I never quite felt right or good. I felt very black and obvious because I knew that my experience was different from that of my peers. But I also felt invisible because this was never acknowledged in any meaningful way. I became visible at 3.05 p.m. when I got back on the bus with the other brown faces to make our journey home. Caleb, I want your teachers to help you love being in your skin. I want them to make space for you and their curricula so that you see yourself as integral to this country's history, to your classrooms, community, to your peers' learning. I want your teachers to select materials where Black people are portrayed in ordinary and extraordinary ways that actively challenge stereotypes and biases. Most of all, Caleb, I want your teachers to know you so they can help you grow. Caleb, I want your teachers to know your journey to school, metaphorically and physically. I want them to see you and all of your peers as children from good families. I don't want you to have to earn credit because of whom you're related to or what your parents do for a living. And I don't want your teachers to think about your, to think that you're special because you're black and have a family that cares about you and is involved in your life. I want them to know that all children are part of families, traditional or not, that help shape and form who they are. Caleb, I hope that you will have teachers who realize they are gatekeepers. I hope they understand the power they hold and work to discover your talents, seek out your dreams and fan them rather than smother them. I hope they will see you as part of a family with gifts and rich histories that have been passed down to you. I hope they will strive to know, to know you even when they think they already know you. I hope your teachers will approach you with humility and stay curious about who you are. Kayla. I pray that your teachers will not look at you through hurtful racial preconceptions. I pray that they will do the work necessary to eliminate racist practices in themselves and in those around them. I pray that they stand up for you in ways that leave you feeling strong and capable. I pray that they will nurture your spirit and that you in turn will desire to be a better you. That my son is my hope for you. I hope your teachers will love you for who you are and the promise of what you'll be. Love, Mama. So as you reflect on that letter, I want you to think about this question. In what way will you ensure that the Calebs in your classroom are seen, heard, welcome, acknowledged, and included? Uh, take a moment to write some things in the chat and let us know. How are you going to ensure that these Calebs are included in your classroom and seen and heard? I want to reemphasize this letter is powerful. And I hope that as you guys were just listening, that you really took that to heart, that you took that in, that you heard those words, that you heard those pleas from that mother, the wishes for that mother's son. And you understand that, that she's talking about you. Um, you are the teacher. You are the one that needs to be doing the work to make sure that you are providing Caleb with this experience. 
um, I think I just I just can't say enough that especially as white teachers that we need to be listening to marginalized parents that we need to hear and believe the trauma that they may have experienced in their own um, ex- experiences as a student to hear the fear and concern that this mother shared for her son to believe it to take it to heart to understand what our impact is and to do the work she said she prays that her te- that the Caleb's teachers will not look at him through hurtful racial preconceptions, that they will do the work necessary to eliminate racist practices in themselves and in those around them. Y'all, you have to do the work. Absolutely, absolutely, Sarah, a hundred percent. There's so much work that needs to be done to break down those racist preconceptions. Uh, something that, that um, you read that I really was looking at earlier was that it says, I don't want your teachers to think that you're special because you, you're black and have a family that cares about you. Yes. You know, caring, caring families in the marginalized group, despite the, the, um, the stigma out there that students from marginalized populations don't have as strong as a family base or family support, um, that's not an anomaly. Um, parents, you know, I've never in my entire career of teaching, and this is my 11th year, I've never met a parent who don't care about their child. Their caring may look different from your definition of caring, but there's nobody out there who doesn't care about their child. And then also, um, I don't want you to have have to earn credit because of whom you're related to or what your parents do for a living. So even in the even in the um, in the case where there is a child who may come from a lower um, SES or um, a lower, you know, a lower income, um, just know that circumstances don't predict futures. Um, you know, if I, were, if I were to go, if somebody was to dictate my life based off of my past, I wouldn't be doing a podcast with you today. Uh, so just know that number one, all students, uh, all marginalized students do not come from low income families. And number two, if there are students who do come from low income families, that doesn't mean that that should dictate where you think they're going to go. Um, so keep that in mind as well. So um, we hope that from this, again, as Sarah mentioned, that you will do the work to ensure that students are students who are has been historically and presently left in the margins, that you'll bring them to the forefront and ensure that they have a quality education, um, just like all of your students. Our responsibility is so great. That's kind of my final takeaway. Our responsibility as teachers is so great. We have such a unique ability and responsibility to, to have a positive impact on our students. And if we don't understand that, if we don't know how much of an impact that we can and will have, then we are doing a disservice to our kids and we need to really do some internal thinking and, and reflecting. Absolutely. Okay, kind of a weird segue, but we're going to share a really quick tip for you guys about how to make sure that you are continuing to take care of yourself through this season of survival for some of us as first year teachers. And so that tip this week is to make sure that you are getting enough sleep. And this is a tricky one. We are all on different sleep patterns. Some of us are up late, up early, but I just want you guys to kind of, I just want to remind you all that how that your sleep, how much sleep you're getting every night is vital to how you're going to feel throughout the day. Get seven to eight hours Try to keep your bedroom cool and quiet to help you get there. Try to shut down your electronics, limit your caffeine intake, all of those things so that you are taking care of your body. And we want you to take care of your body because we want you to feel good. We want you to feel rested. We want you to feel like the best version of yourself. So take care 
of yourselves, take care of your bodies, make sure that you guys are putting in some good practices and good habits around sleep. Okay, friends, uh, we've learned a lot today. We've heard a lot today. So we do want to know, uh, how do we do? So if you will, before you log off, please take a moment to complete the feedback. I'm going to drop that link in the chat for our live viewers. Please tell us how we did by scanning that QR code or share or using this link. And um, our next podcast will be Wednesday, October 27th at 4 p.m. Same time, same place. And for those who are late hire orientation participants, you can email Leslie Allred. I think she's here. So if you could drop your, if you don't mind, Leslie, dropping your email in the chat. But when you email her, include the code don't give up on students and then you will be able to receive um, credit for attending this podcast Uh, and i want to emphasize sorry to interrupt crystal i just want to emphasize really quickly that not everyone has to do that it's only for people where it's on your agenda and most likely it's only for people who are who attended orientation last week on october 4th through october 8th if you attended orientation in july or August, or even late August, and probably September, you do not need to email Leslie. All right, friends. Well, once you give that feedback, we do honor feedback. So please take the time, if you don't mind, to complete that. But other than that, we wish you a wonderful rest of your Wednesday and a wonderful rest of your week. And we will see you again here Wednesday, October 27th. Have a great evening, you guys. Thanks for being here.